Welcome to Power Yourself, where I talk about the most important topic in the world, you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Power Yourself. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into a topic that's really near and dear and close to my heart. Uh, We're going to go into the concept of grief what it looks like, many layers of it, what we can do, and get some support and guidance through this huge, complex topic. So I would choose to have no one else with me on this journey today than the fantastic Fleur. So Fleur is back with us, I feel very privileged to say. Uh, And for those of you who don't know who she is, I'm going to give the floor over to Fleur so you can do a brief little introduction of who you are to the audience. Thanks, Jill. Happy to be back. Um, Hi, everybody. My name is Fleur Umal, and I am a a registered clinical social worker and have um, been um, working with individuals, couples, families for over 20 years now. And every time I say that, I kind of cringe a little bit at how old I've become. But with age comes a lot of experience and a lot of, um, you know, really getting the ability to dive into things that are important to you and and helping people walk through their journey. So I feel very honored to be able to say that I've been doing this for 20 years. So uh, just a quick bio on me. So I got my start actually, um, particularly in this topic, running um, suicide bereavement groups for Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, And so that uh, the topic of grief is very near and dear to my heart and is an area that I specialize in and work with um, in my private practice. So I started a private practice in 2007. And then in 2015, I started a very small, compact employee assistance program uh, company in Calgary. And currently, we administer uh, counseling services for four corporate clients in Calgary. Um, And over the pandemic, you can only imagine how busy life has gotten for us. Um, I still do work one day clinically uh, with clients and uh, Um, So for me, uh, my level of expertise, I think, spans both individuals um, and then all the way up to corporate. So both micro and macro issues. And I would say that uh, grief has been um, one of those things that everybody is experiencing right now and happy to be here to be able to talk about it. So with the introduction of that topic, I guess in... How would you describe it? What would be your definition if somebody asked you to describe what is grief? So grief is a normal kind of emotional response that we all have, uh, whether we want to or not, uh, (laughs) when we experience loss. And, you know, uh, we'll talk today about, you know, what loss can mean. But in most cases, people think about grief in relation to death. And so um, so when people ask me, you know, what is grief, I, I say it's kind of what happens when you experience loss. And so that's kind of like a very basic definition of grief. But I love it because it it keeps it opened to acknowledge, again, how complex grief can actually be. Mm -hmm. Just even the concept of defining it, like you look at Mm -hmm. losing something, it could be exactly as me and you were talking pre conversation, and we'll definitely bring this into the podcast, the pandemic piece, or like, you know, losing sometimes a marriage or a house or like it could be some of those life events, you know, that we go Mm -hmm. through, but also the huge 
the huge journey of when we lose people who we love. And Mm -hmm. I, I even question that, like the losing people we love, sometimes it is through death, but sometimes it is through, you know, going different paths in our lives, you know, choosing different mm-hmm. routes or just ending a relationship, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Joe. And I think that that's one thing that I hope people um, listening today will be able to um, acknowledge that it doesn't, it isn't just about death. And I think that sometimes, you know, we don't get the compassion or empathy from people when we say we're grieving Um, at the end of a marriage or, you know, because we lose a pet or because we've lost our jobs um, or we've had to move our homes. And, and, you know, one of the things that's really important um, when you're going through a grief process is not feeling so isolated and so alone. And so sometimes when that grief is kind of diminished or dismissed, you end up kind of creating even greater distance between you and someone else, which is like the worst thing you can do when you're grieving. But yet I do think that in North American society, anyways, I don't know that we do grief very well. You know, it's one of those things that we want people to get over really quickly. And we, we ask people, are you doing better? And we're uncomfortable with the idea of someone grieving because they're messy and they're not able to maybe meet all of your expectations or there's a bit of unpredictability in how they show up in the world. And sometimes we dismiss or diminish grief because we just want people to get back to normal. Um, And it's just really painful for the person grieving because the expectation is that okay I need to put this somewhere else or I need to do this by myself or I need to do this you know you know behind closed doors and yet one of the most powerful things that we can do with someone who's grieving is giving them the space to be whoever they're going to be in that space as they're grieving god I adore you so much and no wonder you're in my life (laughs) it's like yes like so much of what you're saying it's it it's just so validating, right? Like I found, and we'll, if it's cool with you, we'll take the conversation towards actually losing somebody mm-hmm. first, and then we'll bring it to the wider concepts for sure. Because I think that was one of, of like a hard piece. Like, you know me, I am, I'm such an advocate for self-care and our own personal journeys and kind of honoring our own journeys. And I think that was a hard piece. Like I, you know, we all go through loss. Unfortunately, the loss of my father was for me for 2021. And I think the thing that I found the most challenging, but the thing I'm proud of the most is the stepping back from everyone else Mm -hmm. and honoring Mm -hmm. what it needed to be for me kind of thing. But you're so right. Society and I don't think it's ill intention behind anybody trying to like, how are you doing? Are you doing better? Or, you know, like wanting to just have normalcy go back. Like, I I do Mm -hmm. think it's from a good intention. I just Mm -hmm. think that sometimes we're ignorant to, and again, no malicious intent behind it. We just, we're not sure, or we're sometimes not comfortable. People can be in those moments of uncomfortableness. Mm Totally. And I think and I I do want to make that really clear that I don't think people are doing this intentionally to be hurtful or harmful. It's it's more the idea that one of the things that's very difficult in watching someone go through a grief process is the powerlessness that you feel in being able to help because nothing seems to make 
that person feel better. You can bring them their favorite food. You can take them on a trip. You can, you know, rub their feet, but they're, they could be bawling their eyes out as you're doing this. And you're just like, Oh my God, there's nothing I can do. And so sometimes this wanting this person to be better is really about trying to manage our own powerlessness or our own helplessness and watching someone that we'd love be in so much pain as they're grieving. And so for me, it's really about what I hope we can do today, Jill, is just give people who are also grieving, but people who are watching someone grief, some, you know, strategies on how to just be in that space and not feel like you have to fix it. Right. And it's just, it's going to take the time it's going to take. And, and you don't have to feel powerless. In fact, you can feel very powerful that this person is inviting you into their space in this, in their most vulnerable, their most kind of raw state. And so that's, that's a compliment. So take it as a compliment versus something that you need to fix. And then know that. So I think that goes kind of two levels, right? Like for the person who's inviting other people, you know, the people who are being invited can feel that sense of like connection or privilege Mm -hmm. to be part of their journey. But also for the person going through it, that it's okay to reach out. It is honoring people to Mm -hmm. let them come in and be a part of it. It's, you know, I think sometimes we can justify or be like, I don't want to burden anybody or I don't want anybody to see me so messy. And I'm like, but that's, I find those opportunities. And I think it's hard sometimes to tell ourselves, but those help us build real relationships. Like, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's, again, something that we need to, to keep in mind, right, is that when we allow people to see us in our most authentic state, then we are creating that connection at the most real state. And so, yeah, absolutely. How can we look at grief as a way to deepen a relationship? How can we look at grief as a way to walk hand in hand down a journey, you know, not leading, not following, just beside one another, and being able to watch someone grow and develop as they, you know, process loss or, or, or process, um, you know, what it means now, who am I now, their identity changes that come with grief, right? So, so yeah, absolutely. It's important to see it as that ability to create that deeper connection. And we don't need to be perfect well, we do oh, it. God, no. <laughs> no, in fact, the less perfect you are, I think the more vulnerable you can be, the more permission you give other people to be less perfect, to be vulnerable, right? It's just really honoring that idea that, you know, I'm real, you're real. And, you know, this is a real space between us. And this is a safe space between us. And again, so many times will I say this, how much I adore and love you. And within 10 minutes, (laughs) you have spoke to so many of the pieces why I feel so much value with you in my life. Like it's just those, it's just that support of, yeah, life can get messy, everybody. (laughs) Let's, Mm -hmm. Let's be real. Let's lean into it. Let's be supportive to each other as opposed to judge and, you know, feel this artificial that we need to bring to our conversation. So just mm-hmm. shout out to how much gratitude <laughs> I have for even you being in my life, but also specifically coming on and having this conversation because I feel it's so important. So thank you. Of course. So let's <clears throat> let's name. I know there's so many different models out there mm-hmm. <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as we talked about pre-conversation, <laughs> um, but 
maybe if you just want to basically start sure. talking about the model that you connect with the most and um, some of the terminology there, and maybe we'll just, for sure. you know, dive into yeah, some conversation sure. around that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm super old school. And so I always go with the pioneers, you know, because, you know, one of the things that uh, is important about psychology or, or, you know, the study of human behavior and human emotions is that, you know, we haven't changed a whole heck of a lot. And so, you know, we try to spin a lot of different theories or add on to theories. And so I'm going to go back to the tried and true the the pioneer of death and dying, which is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And so she's kind of the pioneer around, um, you know, stages of grief. And so she's the first person who I think coined the concept of there being stages of grief. She's the first person who kind of said, hey, guys, guess what? This thing called grief, there's actually a process that you're going through. And knowing what that process is, is sometimes super helpful for the person going through grief, because then you don't feel like you're going crazy. Because honestly, this is one of those processes that people really do feel like, you know, they're completely out of control and have lost touch with um, everything that they know to be familiar. And so she started with five stages of grief. And so I'll, I'll describe them very quickly. Um, and then I'm going to add, uh, so David Kessler most recently added a sixth stage to her five stage grief, which I really like. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit about that. So she, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross essentially said that the first stage of grief that you enter into when you first experience loss is called denial and shock. And this is kind of a stage of grief where uh, you're kind of just, you know, deer in the headlights. Um, you're you kind of just go into a bit of autopilot because a lot of stuff has to kind of get done when you first experience a death of some sort or a loss of some sort. And so it's just really moving into the stage of like, did this really happen to me? Is this really happening? Um, and it, just a bit of questioning around you know, the actual loss. And this is a bit of, and I'll talk a little bit about kind of like strategies, but this is kind of a protective factor because like I said, so many things need to get done when we first experience loss. The next stage is labeled anger. Um, But I've often uh, wanted to, label it um, WTF, because this is the stage where you really have no idea what that F is going on. Because (laughs) this is, yeah, or what you're feeling, because there's just this kind of rapid fire of emotions that happen during this stage. But anger is probably the most predominant emotion that people feel because um, it, like anger is a very powerful emotion. So when you first go through loss and experience powerlessness, sometimes feeling anger can bring back some of that power. It's also one of the things that we do to push people away, right? And so when you've experienced a significant loss, the last thing you want is potentially having more hurt in your life. And so what you do is you kind of just gently or sometimes not so gently shove people away with your anger to just keep everyone at arm's length so that you can be a bit more protective of yourself. But there's so many other emotions that come during this time. And that's why I would like to relabel it WTF, because I just think, you know, in a day you could wake up and you could be like crying. And then, you know, three seconds later, you're laughing because someone sent you a funny meme and then you're kind of numb throughout the day. And then all of a sudden someone does something and you're super pissed and you're like yelling at your email box for no good reason. Right. And so this is why the second stage um, most people will say to me, Fleur, I feel like I'm going crazy. And I'm like, I know you totally are going crazy because there's all these emotions you can't control any of them. And so that's kind of the second stage of grief. And then once you like some of that stuff starts to settle, um, you move into what, what 
we call bargaining. Mm -hmm. And this is where you start to make like all sorts of like creative contracts with the universe, your higher power, with the people in your life, where you say things like, you know, if if I do all the right things, like if I brush my teeth and floss my teeth and wash, you know, do clean my house and go to work, like, can you make sure nothing else bad happens, right? So this is where you're, again, trying to regain some of that control that you've lost because because of the loss. Um, And so you're doing this bargaining thing where you're trying to kind of, you know, negotiate, ensuring some safety, ensuring some predictability, ensuring a bit of, you know, control back in your life, and you start to do some bargaining. And then once you've done, you're kind of like maxed out with bargaining and realize the bargaining is not really working, because there's really nothing that out there that's going to help you manage this. Um, it's just all internal. You, the next stage is you move into depression. And so this isn't kind of like the clinical depression that people get diagnosed with, where maybe you need to go on some antidepressant medication. De- this stage of depression is really about when it truly just sinks in about the loss. And this is where the reality of the loss kind of starts to hit home. And that sense of hopelessness and helplessness is really consuming. It's super, super pervasive. And this is where people really kind of begin to really internalize and really want a bit of that distance, but not from an angry or kind of like, you know, frantic stage, this is really kind of where we become a bit more, I would say, uh, lowered in our intensity, and we just kind of sink into kind of a devastating sadness. And this is a stage where people start to really feel um, that that loneliness. And we have to be really mindful, right? Like that at the beginning of a loss, everyone is there. Everyone's checking in and, and, you know, bringing you lasagna and making sure you're eating. And then after about, you know, three months, everyone just kind of goes on with their lives. And there you are with the reality sinking in and no one there. And this is where sometimes that depressive stage can really become pronounced because that loneliness becomes very pervasive. And then once you lift out of the depression, the next stage that we talk about is um, acceptance. And, And acceptance is where you begin to look at the gifts of the loss. This is where you begin to um, understand the reason you were going through this process. This is where maybe you begin to see how you've increased your resilience, your agency, your capacity. This is where you begin to feel powerful again, not because you're trying to control the universe or the world, but because you're starting to feel like, you know, there was there, there was something that I'm getting out of having gone through this grieving process. Um, and so that's, and so the acceptance phase is, is really kind of, um, you know, where you first begin to exhale, because I find that people hold their breath through the first couple stages. And the acceptance is when you finally get to exhale and kind of let some of that stuff out. And so those are the five stages that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross kind of came up with. And those, like I said, are old school, the pioneer of death and dying and and the grief process. And then David Kessler added a sixth stage after acceptance, which is around meaning, right? So this is where you rediscover purpose, you um, look at 
you know, what this person meant to you. This is where you begin to really honor the relationship you had with this person. And sometimes this is where people find, you know, um, purpose around, you know, the, the meaning behind the loss and, and, the, and the death of someone, right? So this is where people, you know, will use their grief in, in very meaningful ways to do things like start charities or, you know, go like maybe change their career. Or this is where people begin to realize life is really short. I'm going to go do the thing that I've been afraid to do this whole time. And so it's really that. So this stage, I think, is the hopefulness stage and why I like that he's added it. Right. Because we, we used to stop at acceptance. Then people would just be like, OK, I accept the loss, but like I still feel really shitty. And so the meaning part of it is really being able to um, t- take take the loss, take take you know, the pain that came from all of this and then do something with it, which is, you know, something that I think all of us find really meaningful is if we can do something meaningful. And so I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to shut up in just a second, but I, I just want to share the analogy, the analogy that I use um, to help people understand what it's like to go through a grieving process. Cause we can talk about these stages and it can still feel really kind of like um, abstract. And so I, I'd like to share an analogy that I use with clients to help them understand what the process looks like, right? Um, and just be really mindful that it's not linear. It's not like you go from stage one to stage six, and then all of a sudden you're done. You kind of bounce around. And as long as you're bouncing, that's how you know you're doing a really good job, actually, which is Beautiful. what makes it super crazy making because you kind of wish you could just like go through the stages and be done and so some people have said to me they're like you know I I, you know started the day being really angry and then as the day wore on I noticed that I just felt like super sad and then you know by the end of the day I wanted to pick up the phone and tell my mom about something that happened today right so it's kind of like you bounce through all these different stages throughout the day um, and that's how you know you're actually working through grief so that's a really important piece to remind yourself that you know if you're bouncing, that's a really good thing. And so the analogy that I love to use is that when you first experience a loss, imagine that you're holding grief in both your hands. And so when you're holding grief in both your hands, you can't really do anything, right? Like you can't open doors, you can't drive your car, you can't like text anybody. And so it, it's all consuming at that stage. And that's why at the beginning of grief, people feel really kind of helpless and powerless is because they can't even really do anything for themselves. And then as time goes on, and as you start to maybe work with a therapist, or as you begin to give yourself space to honor the loss, you begin, you, you kind of shift the grief, and it becomes a little bit smaller so that you can fit it into one hand. And so that gives you like one hand free, you know, so you're able to drive your car, you're able to brush your hair, you're able to like text with one hand, Um, but it's still hard. Like life is still really hard because you're only like 50% at capacity. And then again, as you do more work and as time, more time goes by, you shrink grief more and you can kind of put it in your pocket. And now both your hands are free and you can kind of return back to a life that you remember where you have capacity and you have agency. But the difference being is that you're carrying grief in your pocket. So people never get over grief. It isn't something that you get over. It actually just becomes part of your identity, right? So now you're a person who's experienced this grief and you carry the grief with you. And this is why, you know, acceptance and meaning is so important because with that grief, you're carrying with the meaning and the purpose. And sometimes that's the energy you can use to kind of keep going forward. 
so important, right? Like there's so much. It's like I was going to, I'm trying to take notes as you talk and then I'm just like, no, just be present, (laughs) be in it. But it's so true, right? Because even as you're talking about it, let's be honest, let's step back. As you're going through those five stages or the six now, it's, they kind of do look like a linear order. And I remember Mm -hmm. thinking that as I read them before I've ever gone through grief, you know, seeing that, oh, it makes sense. It's like you're processing basically going through the steps. What I didn't realize and what you you alluded to, and I actually like the analogy of bouncing around because Mm -hmm. it's true. You do bounce. I felt like the only way I could describe it was like that I was on a roller coaster, but the roller coaster was like redefining itself after every moment. Mm -hmm. You just totally felt things on such like an extreme level, I found. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was that, yeah, maybe you do go through one through one to five and then you go back to two and you go back to three and then so I think that was the biggest learning and then Mm -hmm. the other piece that I love that you're naming is how we don't just go through it and that's it like and I Mm -hmm. think sometimes especially if we're people who like to achieve and you know go through something and check the box off, it becomes harder to realize, no, this has now transformed me. I will not Mm. be the same. And that's, oh, and I think that's the, the really important piece. The reason why I wanted to do today is the, that's okay. Like I, you don't need to, and whether you're helping people or watching people as they go through grief or whether it's you going through grief right now is they won't or you won't be the same. You won't be that version of yourself that you were pre because you've just gone through this big transformational experience, no matter if it was death or, you know, as we'll bring into the conversation later, events. And you Mm -hmm. are forever changed by that. And so that grief, it becomes more the concept of learning to live with and acknowledge, Mm -hmm. I found, which isn't something I can truly say I fully understood before, you know? And I think it's important, right? Like if you're going to go through something really hard, you want it to be part of you. You want to take, you know, whatever strength you garnered from surviving something and you want to add it to your toolbox of confidence, right? To know that you can endure things like that and survive and come out on the other end and dust yourself off and like pick yourself up and you want it to add to you. And that, and that's really the purpose I think of meeting with someone like myself when you have a loss that's being, that is kind of the a bit difficult to process is that you you want to make sure that it is meaningful and you want to make sure that it adds to your strength and your resilience versus taking away and so that's the real power of entering into a therapeutic relationship with someone when you are going through a more complicated grief process because it just is you want it to you want it to add you don't want it to take away yeah and I think even to add to that pitch flirt like you know even when we do live the lives you know of of really knowing the skills and practicing them. And like, I know some of the concepts like that found to be very important to me. I teach on a continuous basis. So I'm like, no, I got them, you know, but I also was aware enough to say, Hey, I got some pieces, but I'm also not aware of what I'm not aware of. (laughs) 
Totally. And totally. so, so for me, I would say, you know, a lot of people who are in organizations, sometimes we have benefits and like yourself, as you mentioned, the, um, employee family assistance, like the EFAP, the support that you can actually tap mm-hmm. into and get. And for me, that was something that I chose to do because I was like, no, I'm not going to be blind here. <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. just pause and, and make sure I'm getting the extra support that's out there because why not? This is why mm-hmm. it's out there. So I kind of, you know, let's go with the theme of analogies. It's like the car mechanic. Like we can technically mm-hmm. learn how to change our oil. <laughs> like totally. we can learn who how to, wants to do that. <laughs> but there's people who are really good at it and we can tap really good. Yep. Right? Tap into their expertise and just like I found it so powerful too to, you know, it's nice to have your friends and family, which is beautiful and they offer so much support, but sometimes it's nice to just have that ear that you don't have that dialogue in yourself to be like, oh, I'm taking up too much time or, oh, I shouldn't be shitted, shitted, shitting <laughs> on myself kind of thing. So totally. if anything, people here who are maybe going through it right now, just know that that is a powerful tool that you can tap into and that is associated with power and not mm-hmm. not being able to do it on your own. Yes. And I mean, think about the therapeutic relationship being the only relationship where it's really just about you, right? With friends and family, you always feel the need to reciprocate. But honestly, like as a clinician, like that, that time is your time and you don't have to worry about me. You don't ever have to ask me how I am. Everyone does, which is lovely, but really, it's really just about you. And so name me another relationship in your life where you get just absolute, like, focus on self without having to worry about someone else, right? It's a real gift you can give yourself for sure. Totally agreed. Uh, The other piece I'd like to jump back to for just a second. Uh, Well, actually, there's two because two of the stages really spoke. And once again, all we can do is name our experience and, you know, hopefully people find the pieces that we can relate to each other with. Um, But as you're talking about the denial shock, although I didn't feel it because my loss was kind of gradual a little bit like Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of that lead up which no doubt people can still go through the shock for sure but I thought as I dove into a lot more of the readings I thought it was so important to understand that it it was like survival right your body's Mm -hmm. going into survival mode and Mm -hmm. so again not shaming yourself or getting angry that you you feel a little bit numb (laughs) you know your Mm -hmm. your body is a magnificent thing and it's literally trying to take care of you right now Mm -hmm. so I thought Mm -hmm. that was um something that yeah looking at it as survival mode I I thought added value kind of Mm -hmm. appreciating other people like watching them go through it a bit more and then the anger I think was the surprising for me like that was the the shit storm <laughs> that Jill leaned into. Uh, and it wasn't anger at the person who passed or wasn't anger at somebody specific. I think for me, I was just blown away how intense I felt mm-hmm. anger, which like legitimately I can count on two hands the times that anger was truly sparked on a very mm-hmm. big level for me. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was just that was surprising. I could remember mm-hmm. even saying to my husband, like, I feel 
fucking crazy right now. <laughs> like I feel like <laughs> this is intense. Like I am, I, I can self-manage. I know how to self-soothe. And I find this really off-putting that I feel it so mm-hmm. intensely kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you, 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 when you think about those first two stages, it really is about self-protective factors, right? Like that's what we're trying to do when we've experienced such a significant loss is that we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to get through. And so that's what those two stages really are about. It's about, you know, giving yourself time to accept the new reality, but also being kind of free to be angry that this is your new reality, right? That Because this is a for the most part, when we have a loss, um, even for people who, you know, where the loss has been, you know, long predicted and, you know, there's some relief sometimes that comes with the loss, we're still angry because it isn't how we ever wanted it to be, right? This is where our mind, our cognitive brain can kind of say, well, Fleur, you kind of knew this was coming, you know, or, you know, this is a bit of an inevitable part of the life cycle. So, you know, it conceptually, and you know, it cognitively and intellectually, but then when you, you actually go through it, you're like, hells no. Like, no, 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 no. This can't happen to me. Did someone get the memo that I'm supposed to be devoid of this kind of pain? Like, you know, my life is hard in lots of other ways. And so I don't need this right now. And so that's, and so when we get into that stage where it's really about, I really need the world to, I just need people to back off right now. Um, and so instead of seeing yourself as being a giant asshole during the second stage, <laughs> it's kind of being able to honor and just be like, okay, like I'm angry because I want to feel powerful again. I want to feel like I have a say in what's going on in my world because for the last X number of however long, like I have felt very powerless. And so anger is one of those things that if we can manage it effectively, it can be a place of power. It can be a place of agency, um, definitely not a place of shame. The key is managing it effectively, right? Like recognizing what the anger is about and figuring out how you're going to express it without like burning the house down, right? Like, I mean, I think that's the important piece is like, how do you honor the anger without it kind of trickling into, you know, irreparable damage, so. I I think it's like, I have so much appreciation that we could talk about such like, it is such a huge concept, right? Like grief. And sometimes it can feel like this big burden as we take it on. And I think being able to like reflect back and look at it and have humor with ourselves and look at like oh shit yeah that really surprised me I think it's it makes it be that part of us moving forward Mm -hmm. versus just this huge horrible thing that we went through and I get Mm -hmm. as we're in it that's hard to see and that's hard to acknowledge because of course we didn't choose some of this grief that we're going through and our lives won't be the same because these people sometimes won't be in it or our lives are different. And so just know if you're not there, that is okay. And I think the whole reason again for having this topic today and the importance I wanted to bring is don't should yourself, don't try Mm -hmm. to put yourself in something, don't feel like you need to be anything but who you are in the moment you're in and I think totally lean into that honor that and it's just it's humorous to me that anger was my trigger that reminded Mm -hmm. me to lean in and slow down Mm -hmm. and listen Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. and so whatever that is for you I think just know it is will have similarities 
but it is a very unique process and how you process it might look very different than what we're talking about. And again, I go back to, there's no shame here. This is mm-hmm. a journey and just honor, honor what that is for you. That's my advice. I totally. think, big time. Mm-hmm. Totally. Okay. So let's actually give advice though. Like <laughs> meaning, <laughs> Hey, you <laughs> come on, I'm uh, going to tap into that beautiful brain of yours and say, okay, let's focus on if the individual right now, we can look at supporting others in a second, but as, as we go through it ourselves, what do you think mm-hmm. are some really good tips for people or strategies that they can, they can help themselves as they navigate this so yeah so I think that um you know this is the thing that happens in therapy all the time is someone will say okay great Fleur you've labeled the stages <laughs> you told me about what books to read how can I get now, like, like this? what the hell am I yeah like tell me what I actually need to do like I need a prescription I need to step by step and so one of the things that I did early on was I actually created a step-by-step for people um around how to manage grief so that it's it becomes a bit more tangible. Yeah. Um, I'm all about tangibility, as you know. Like it's it's one thing to be conceptual and like be out, you know, at, at a teles you know telescopic um, view. But it, we also need to get down to the microscope of things and just like look at you know what are some things that people can do practically, right? So the very first thing that um, you know. I encourage people to do is exactly what you said, Jill, which is like, don't should yourself, right? There's no, as much as I've labeled these stages, there's no kind of like prescription on how you're going to go through it. And because it's so individual, and it also depends on like, you know, what's like, where were you at when the grief happened? Were you like, you know, at your best 100%, like killing it? Or were you already feeling a little bit kind of, um, exhausted and defeated. And so it really depends on like, what, where were you at when, you know, you've lost, when you experienced the grief, uh, the loss. And so, um, so that's really important to know the other. So the other thing is, is that the most important thing to do while you're going through a grief process is the self-care piece. So I'm going to dive into that a little bit later, but initially, what I want everyone to do if you're going through a grief process is just to be able to have some awareness around what stage are you in, right? Because now we've given you some language, we've given you some context to what grieving looks like. And so now the key is to identify uh, what stage you're in. And then there's certain things you need to do while you're in that stage to help you manage being in that stage, right? And so um, so that's what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to say, um, if you find yourself in the denial and um, denial and shock phase stage, um, this is a cue to you to get really tapped into your basic needs, get tapped into what is your reality, right? So this is where you focus on things like, you know, um, food, clothing, shelter, exercise, diet, um, being able to just focus on the basic needs. So anytime we we go into a denial phase. We're trying to move out of our reality because we don't like our reality. So part of being in this phase and recognizing that you're in this phase is by touching base with the things that are that you can control within your reality. So if you notice that you're kind of in the denial shock phase, just ask yourself, okay, am I, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Do I need to get some exercise? Do I need to um, have a nap? Do I need, like, it's, it's about focusing on your basic needs. 
So that's what you do. If you find that you're in the denial and shock phase, when you're in the um, anger phase, this is the phase, again, reminding yourself about being powerful. So this is where you set lots of boundaries. This is where you say no before you say yes. This is where you think about, you know, what am I going to get out of doing X behavior? If I'm going to go to work, what do I get out of it? If I'm going to go for dinner with some friends, what am I going to get out of it? How do you set boundaries so that you can have a bit more, again, control over your environment um, and not push people away because you feel like they're infringing? but being able to set appropriate boundaries with people so that you're not taking on more than you have to give, right? So this is, again, we want to preserve the energy that you have. And so a lot of the strategies I'm going to give right now about all the different stages is really about protecting that. Because grief, I always tell people, is like, the hardest thing, the most exhausting thing that you will go through. And kind of like that analogy I said, when it first is so, so consuming, everything just takes so much more effort, right? Like I said to people, I'd rather run like five marathons back to back than actually go through a grieving process because it's exhausting um, because you don't get a chance to bring things in. And I'll share another analogy once I'm done going through these different stages. So if you find yourself in the bargaining phase, right? So again, this is about regaining control. This is about you deciding that, you know, the universe did you a bad one. And so you're going to regain control. But what happens during this phase is that you want to control things you don't have control over, right? You want to control how someone's driving, you want to control the stupid fucking weather, and you want to like, you know, control the person that's like trying to check you out at the grocery store. And really what you need to control is your stuff. So you can control what you say, you can control um, who who you spend your time with, you can control. um, So the bargaining, instead of bargaining with the external universe, you have no control over, it's about setting up these personal contracts with self around self-care. It's about reminding yourself that you can choose, that you can create some certainty by choosing the things that you choose, that you are going to engage in. It's almost like that's the bargaining. What I hear from you though, it's almost like owning your power a little bit, like totally re-acknowledging. Absolutely. Yes. Because the, because when we experience a loss, we all of a sudden do feel that powerlessness, right? Yeah. So it's like, yes, you didn't have control over this person dying. You didn't have control over the loss of this job. You didn't have control over the loss of whatever you're experiencing, but there are still things you can control, yeah. right? There are. And so focus on those things when you notice that you're in the bargaining phase. And then if you notice that you're in the depression phase, now this is the hard one because people are just kind of like, okay, I really can't quite get there. And that's totally fine. But when you find yourself in the depression stage, remember that this is a stage where you feel hopeless and helpless, right? The fact that it's never going to get better and there's nothing you can do to make it better. And so in this phase, I ask people to begin daydreaming. I ask people to start looking at the future Mm -hmm. and planning for the future and dreaming for the future. And this is where I say to people, you know, if you, if you won the lottery and you didn't have to work for a living anymore, what would you? do with your time today how would you spend your day who would you be with how what how would you um get through you know from morning noon and night and this is the the phase where I think if you can get out of that sense of hopelessness and helplessness, you can be and you can begin to dream, you can begin to plan for a future that really is about, you know, um, finding kind of a new sense of motivation or purpose. And so, um, and the reason it's hard, because this is the hardest part of grieving, I think, is when you're feeling like, 
super devastated. Um, it's hard to dream when you're devastated, but it's when you need to dream the most. It's interesting that you say that because I, I do like, <clears throat> you know, obviously you want to honor the depression, you want to lean in, you want to feel the feels, you want to process. And I think it's also important to know continuously feeling that for a long time sometimes can, you know, almost increase, you know, what we feel or it can sink us a little bit. So, you know, if we're in that state, of course, it's okay to be there. And it's okay to pause yourself from being there too. Like you don't have to stay there all the time. Like Mm -hmm. knowing that you can, like, it's actually, I, I was reading the last grief book um, I read. He talked about how different cultures can sometimes have uh, baskets or vases or boxes that they bring out when they're experiencing grief so that mm-hmm. they know that they can, it's too overwhelming to just stay in it. And by putting mm-hmm. the box away represents, oh, I need to take some time right now. Totally. And I love that you just gave the nugget of daydreaming because it could mm-hmm. be like a 30 second pause. Like it totally. doesn't mean that you're over it because it, we we're learning and remembering that it's not a process we get over. It's just that we learn to live with. But even in the depression state, it's knowing that I can be depressed and I can also go for a hike and Mm -hmm. feel air and feel rejuvenated. And that doesn't take away from my loss. Like it doesn't mean I'm done. It's just giving yourself little pockets of, of positive. I I hate to use the word positivity, but like a little burst of endorphins maybe. Well, and and more importantly, it's just giving you kind of that hopefulness, right? Like I really, one of the things that kind of goes away when you're, when you've lost someone is that you you lose some hope, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do when I encourage people to, to daydream or to dream about the future is to try and bring back some of that hope, which is what lends itself to then the next phase of grief, which is, you know, the acceptance phase. And so when you're in the acceptance phase, all I would say to people is like exhale a lot, like breathe in, breathe out, and just be be thankful that you're actually experiencing some of this peace and you're finding the gifts. Um, And again, this is where you could do some honoring things of the person you've lost. You know, this is where you can um, really find that connection to meaning and purpose that David Kessler talks about. Right. So this is where I would combine those two things. So when you find yourself in acceptance, just breathe it out, just give yourself permission to enjoy being in that space because um, there's a really good chance you're just going to get like, you know, whiplashed back into a different stage and then yeah. you're going to need that strength and you're going to need that resilience to kind of get through, you know, another round if that's what's going to happen next. And I think that's an important mm-hmm. reminder too. Like we already talked about the bounce around and I think just remembering, even when we feel that acceptance and meaning coming up for us, you're right. We can get that whiplash lash back and go back mm-hmm. to, you know, depression or anger. And I think again, remembering that that's okay. There's nothing wrong totally. with you as that happens. It's great that you got to experience some of the acceptance or meaning, and maybe there's still more that you're processing and continue to like, that's the other Mm -hmm. thing is this is not a week job or a month job or one year job. Like 
again, Mm -hmm. this is now part of you as you continue on um, in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Such a big piece. The cool piece that I read about David Kessler, I I liked it how he added in the meaning piece, but he talked about how it's when we're able to remember those who have died with more love than pain. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it just like hit me, right? Like it totally hit me Mm -hmm. in my chords, remembering how they've impacted us, how they've, Mm -hmm. you know, helped us on our journey, you know, how they've influenced. And I think like for me, it related a lot to spirituality. It related a lot to indigenous cultures. It related a lot to Buddhism. Like Mm -hmm. it's just that piece of knowing And again, everybody will be different. But for me, a lot of what gave me that ability to kind of move, move, move forward and what that looked like Mm -hmm. is knowing that or choosing to believe that they're part of me. And so I go back to Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching and he talks about how, you know, all of those people who influence us or in relationships with us through our lives, they are with us throughout our lives, no matter if they're physically with us anymore or not, you know, and that means like distance wise, or whether they've, you know, I term transitioned on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's they are, they will forever be a part of who we are because of the role that they played in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's something that gave, Mm -hmm. yeah, a solace feeling. And it made me start to look at, oh, I'm living on for them as well. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing Mm -hmm. to move forward and, you know, incorporate things to celebrate their lives and, you know, help other people live, you know, or support other people going through. It just gave a little bit more power behind that because it's, it's not just, hey, you're living for you. I'm living for all the people who helped create kind of me, you know. Totally. Agreed. Thought that was a cool piece for sure. Okay, so we talked about (laughs) tips people can do for themselves, Um, remembering it's a whole unique process, the self-care, taking time and honoring that it is your journey, as well as you just acknowledged key pieces that you can do in each phase as well. Beautiful. Now, if like, what's one thing that you might suggest to somebody who's supporting somebody else going through it? So maybe you're not the person specifically going through grief. Maybe you're supporting somebody you love as they go through it. So I would say that what I encourage um, people to do when they've got a loved person going through grief is just letting them be messy, allowing them to be in whatever state they're going to be in, empowering them is probably the big thing. So sometimes what people want to do is like all of a sudden take over someone's life. So they come over and they, you know, do their laundry and they do their, bring their food and, you know, they say to them, okay, you need to come do this with me. You need to come do that. Let's go on a vacation. Like they want to almost overdue for someone because all of a sudden they see this person as being you know messy and incapable and they've just lost someone in their life and it's kind of like you know I want the person who's grieving to be like 
back off sister, get your own sandwich because I'm capable, yeah. right? Like I'm very capable. And that's sometimes that's what that anger at the beginning was. It's just like, everybody just back off, right? Like I know I got this, right? Even though I look messy and even though I look devastated and even though like I say things maybe that scare you because I'm talking about maybe I can't go on or this is too hard or whatever. And so the like what you want to do is help this person find their power by letting them be messy in their space, but know and trust them that they're still going to make good decisions and that they're going to be able to take care of themselves and just help facilitate that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, um, you know, people will often say to me, well, Flora, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to make them feel worse. It's kind of like, dude, they just lost like a very important person in their life. Nothing you say, unless you're being intentionally hurtful is actually going to make them feel worse. They're feeling the worst that they can ever feel. And by not saying anything, you're actually increasing their isolation. So say something, ask them, how are they doing? The best thing that you can do if you're watching someone grieve is, what can I do? Uh, Ask them, right? Empower them to tell you what they need you to do, right? And then do it. Like, don't offer to do something and then don't do it. Like, that's one thing that I would say. Like, if if, if someone says to you, you know, I just need you to like check in with me once a week. And if you commit to checking in with them once a week, just make sure you do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So the best thing you can do is help this person empower, find their power, find their agency, find their capacity and be checking in. And I think that that's the other thing is don't assume that just because you've moved on after two weeks or three months that they have, and that sometimes it gets worse at like between three to six months, three to nine months. Um, um, before it gets better. And so just don't stop checking in with your person and asking them how they are and if there's anything more you can do. Um, and so sometimes they'll ask, you know, like I need a distraction. Let's go for drinks. Let's, you know, let's get away for the weekend. And sometimes they'll say, you know what, I just want to talk about the person that I've lost. And I want to talk about this relationship I had with them. And so really, if you're watching someone go through a grieving process, is just really honoring where they are and not expecting them to be any different than where they're at um, and not being afraid to ask them do you miss your dad do you miss your grandma do you miss this person you know how are you integrating this loss into your identity like I know we don't those aren't the words like people always say this to me they're like Flora people don't use those kinds of words in like real life and I'm like you're right that was a totally like a clinical totally therapist thing to say but I mean why not right why not ask somebody you know how has this changed you as a person Um, so I would say that if you're watching someone grieve, just help them find their agency, help them find their power, um, ask them what they need from you and then follow through. I like how you mentioned about asking them because I think sometimes people like you mentioned feel that they need a distraction. So it's almost like sometimes I think people can think that they know better and they know what that other person needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that is definitely what drove a lot of the higher emotions for me, uh, for sure. But so I just want to touch on that because um, there's two pieces of it. First of all, I love it how you invited people to talk about the person or to talk about Mm -hmm. the thing because I think that really honors and says, hey, I'm okay to be here. You don't need to be anything but who you are. And I find, as you were saying, well, that's therapist language. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I really do see it as real language. (laughs) But it's, it's that talk of like, you know, how is this landing for you? Like, you know, what do you need right now? Or what does this look like? Or did you just want to talk about them? I think that can be a beautiful invitation to 
say, I'm okay being uncomfortable. Like this is not Mm -hmm. about me kind of thing. Which brings me back to the first piece of how you said when people come in and they're kind of like all encompassing, trying to control or dictate what's happening. So let's, you know, if we're that people, because sometimes we get in that mode. And again, I'll go back to no (laughs) doubt there's positive intention there of wanting to take care of people. But maybe can you offer some advice or offer some reflection opportunity to if you are that person who is an overdoer who wants to come in and dictate what grief should look like for somebody else what what might be helpful um, for that person who wants to take control to um, so not the person who's grieving but the person who's watching someone grieve yeah feels that need to control Yeah, I would say, I mean, this is kind of an old age question, right? About like how, you know, how do we allow people to be in whatever space they're going to be and letting go of, 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 you know, what's right. And we we have these people in our lives. We love these people in our lives because they help get things done for us, right? But I would say if you're someone who is, you notice that you're trying to kind of overdo or over control or are shooting someone because they're grieving is to really just check in with your own discomfort around this person not being who they need to be for you right just check into the fact that maybe part of why you are really pushing this person to get back to normal is because it's it's you need them to be normal right and just checking in and asking yourself like you know why do I need this why do I need this person to be okay for me and you know having a bit of that self-reflection and then I would say like try to practice a bit of that empathy around like if you were this your loved person's in their shoes how would you feel if you had someone kind of telling you how to be how to do how to what um and you know providing a bit of compassion to that person you know fundamentally I think when someone tries to tell us how to be and how to how to do it's really because they need us to be different and so if that is what you're doing I would say really just check in and ask yourself, like, how is this person, like, benefiting you or not benefiting you and and how do you just check back into being there for that person right and I think being really mindful of this idea of reciprocity checking in with this idea of a reciprocal relationship, right? The idea that, you know, you and this person engage in a mutually, um, you know, honoring respectful relationship where each of you gets to show up as you get to show up, but really practicing that empathy, really practicing that compassion and really just checking in with yourself around what, what needs are you trying to get met by this person being okay? I love that the showing up like in, you know, I think that goes back to our conversation earlier. When we can show up as real, we invite other people to show up as real. You know, mm-hmm. it's being able to be uncomfortable and sit in that and allow that or to allow ourselves to be messy around other people. Again, you know, and this is just my perspective. I really do see those ingredients as contributing to a real healthy relationship versus something that's more artificial and Mm-hmm. picture perfect totally. but just the length and people do have said you know like that you know they realized who their tribe actually was when yeah. they lost when they went through a grieving process because people showed up the way they needed them to show up versus people who showed up and didn't right yeah, yeah so I think the reason why I wanted to kind of go back there just specifically on that overdoing piece is I think sometimes we can 
think it's about the other person and we're trying to serve them and we're trying to do stuff for them. But I think sometimes uh, those behaviors can really allow us that mirror to say like, whoa, whoa, Mm -hmm. whoa, whoa, is something else going on for me? If I'm mm-hmm. feeling that totally. I need to control somebody else. So just a, who knows, maybe a little nugget to check in with ourselves there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And then uh, to round out, let's say, uh, the whole topic of grief, you mentioned earlier about he- how it can be caused by other events or different mm-hmm. things. It doesn't have to be the loss of maybe just a loved one. So if you can maybe connect the two, because no doubt everything that we've just walked through about a loss of somebody can actually be felt and, you know, correlated with when we go through these events as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've, we've kind of been focusing, Jill, on the idea of death and mm-hmm. that being the primary loss. And one of the things I think that's really important to acknowledge, right, is that the last two years that we've lived through this pandemic has, you know, has, I think, put everyone in a grieving process. And that's why we have to be very kind and gentle and compassionate with anyone we're running into, strangers, people we know, because you don't know what that person has lost. You don't know, you know, how this pandemic has affected them. And so I look at law at grief as like I mentioned is the normal response to loss and I think we can all comfortably say that we've all lost normalcy over the last couple of years right we've lost certainty we've lost predictability we have also become a bit powerless in how these restrictions of public health measures affect our day-to-day living right so I mean we can see just how if you really put it into the context of loss how all of us must be grieving right now because we um we, we no longer can dictate everything that goes in our lives, right? Like I remember when Christmas got canceled last year, it's like, what? Seriously, we can do that? We can we can cancel Christmas? Like I can't have people in my house, what? Um, and also just the idea of like all the things you have to do if you want to travel, all the things you have to do if you want to go to a restaurant. You know, we, we, we see also the, the loss that's happened with the divide in society around vaccines and and how people have you know lost their jobs because they made this you know choice whatever choice that was for you around vaccinations and you know the loss of family members because everyone seemed to be on different sides of you know the public health measures and so it faces us all of the time right every time I get out of my car and put my mask on to go somewhere it's a reminder that I have to do this thing whether I want to or not this thing is being demanded of me. And I'm not allowed to go to certain places if I don't follow certain rules, right? And so just this loss of our own power in our world right now, um, and, you know, whether you agree with it or not, the truth of it is, is that it's just a change in how we've had to adapt and adjust to this pandemic. And then I think even just the greater global loss of all the lives that we've lost, right? All the people have died, um, all people whose jobs that they've lost, family members that they've lost, even just the loss of the certainty of health, right? The fact that you, you know, you could go out somewhere and do something that's really normal and come back and be ill, right? So even that in of itself is really kind of like, like, challenges our resilience on a day to day basis. And so I, I just think we need to honor the fact that right now, 
I would say that unless you're not paying attention to what's going on in the world, you're likely going through some sort of grief process. So how can you be kind and gentle with yourself? How can you be kind and gentle with other people? How can you ask people like, and honestly ask, how are you doing? Like, what's life been like for you? What are the things that you're being challenged with? Um, And how can I help? Like, how can I make your life just a little bit easier? And maybe it's because uh, you have like three things and I have a basket full of things. just go ahead in the grocery lineup because you know what like you have three things just go right like how do we empathize with people and ask ourselves like how would I want to be treated in this particular situation in this environment because of what I'm going through right now and the the last thing is assuming that people are okay like don't assume that people are not in their anger phase of grieving or their depression stage of grieving and that they're just really struggling right now even though on the outside they look exactly the same and exactly normal and they seem to be doing okay because they're going to work they're taking their kids to school they're making dinner they're exercising right doesn't mean that they're not struggling right and so there's just so much stuff we talked about anticipatory grief too right the idea that we were anticipating all the things that we could lose you know every time there was this kind of oh there's going to be an announcement today at five everybody just like held their breath they're like okay now what now what do I get you know what do I have to get used to and then there's the complicated grief that also happened because people were losing their jobs and then they know someone that died of COVID or you know Black Lives Matter last year like all the stuff that like the world kept going and those issues were still present and we still needed to respond to that. So it was just this cumulative grief that we were all experiencing. Right. And so I just think that we need to be really mindful that this, this grief will be with us for a while and it's changing and shaping each of our identities in different ways. Um, And I don't think that I think more, more so than ever, we have to acknowledge that grief is, is just a predominant, common emotion which I hope is what helps us stay connected to each other recognizing that we're all grieving and see like that it kind of brings us back to the opportunity to connect in it right like the opportunity Mm -hmm. to step back and empathize that my grief might not look the same as yours but wow, how are you doing? Like, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Here's what it's going like for me. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to name that. And then hopefully creating that space where people can get that support, where they can talk out what's actually happening for me. There's so much of what you were saying, especially about the pandemic, you know, gives us opportunity to empathize. And like I just said, connect with each other. And I think it also can serve right now as a great reminder. Am I escalated? in my emotions? Am Mm -hmm. I bargaining? Am I maybe in a depression state? You know, again, Mm -hmm. no shoulds here, but Mm -hmm. knowing when we're in it and what might be helpful, I think can be such, again, a powerful thing that we can tap into as opposed to feeling just overwhelmed and hopeless, you know, which Mm -hmm. I know we kind of got to lean into sometimes, but it's nice to, I think it's powerful when we can acknowledge what we're experiencing. It gives us more, yeah, a direction Mm -hmm. forward, basically. So, yeah, and I think that that's what I'm going to leave you with is the idea of like the self-reflection or Mm self-awareness, because the more you know about what you're going through, the more you can help yourself and the more that you can ask for help in very specific ways. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Okay, so last 
last opportunity to say anything, someone's going through grief, what would be a nugget of or a tip from your uh, own experience professionally or personally, anything else that you would offer somebody else? You were already given. No, so I much. don't know that. I, yeah, I don't know that. I, I that there's anything that I, I I feel like is left unsaid, and okay. so I think maybe I'll just you know kind of reiterate, you know, the honoring of where you're at, not judging yourself, not judging others, um, giving yourself moment to moments to reflect and become aware of where you're at, asking for what you need, recognizing that you're going to be exhausted and that you're not going to be at your best, but that that's okay. And in fact, at some point. This is going to really add to your strength. It's going to add to your confidence if you let it. Um, and then I think fundamentally, if you notice yourself getting stuck, so this is a piece. If you get stuck, if you notice you're not bouncing, that's probably the best time to reach out for help, right? Like if you're getting stuck in depression, you're getting stuck in anger, or you're getting stuck in bargaining or denial, like if you're stuck there and you just can't seem to move, that's probably the best time to reach out and ask for help. Beautiful advice. And stuck just to kind of give people a point of reference. How would Oh, like stuck in the sense that you're you just don't seem to be moving to other stages, right? So you just are angry all of the time. Yeah. And and I don't know that there's such a timing, but it's more just that you you don't feel like you just wake up every day and you're like groundhog day and you feel the same thing every day and you're not shifting, you're not moving, you're not growing. Um, you know, I hate to put timelines on anything because people always ask me that. They're just like, hey Claire, so how long is it going to go on for? And I'm just like, well, kind of depends, right? Um and so it's really just about whenever you start to feel like it's groundhog day right there was a period of time the beginning of the pandemic when I was just like it's freaking groundhog day I get up I go to work I come home I see nobody I talk to nobody like it just you know when it starts to feel like your world has lost its color where it's lost its depth its contrast where it just feels gray all the time I would say that would be when you could notice that maybe you need external help and I think you know again tapping into that power (laughs) right it's a it's a tool. It's something there for us to utilize and use. There's no wrong time to reach out as totally. well. You know, it can just totally. help um, give us a little bit more confidence or sometimes allow us to talk out things that we're trying to process. So always something totally. we can do. As always, you are just ah, just so much <laughs> gratitude, so much appreciation for the person you are and how you always show up in conversations with your realness and vulnerability and just ability to name it. And just thank you for everything, Fleur. Always an honor. Of course, to have thanks you. for having me. Yeah, love to be back. Thanks so much. This is a topic near and dear to my heart. So always so happy to be able to talk about it. Thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. So with that being said, hopefully you can maybe revisit the podcast or hand it to somebody who maybe could use it uh, just to help process their own journey. Remembering it is unique and it's about leaning in and trying to honor our experience as we go through that. And if we're supporting people, holding space and honoring time so they can process and they can honor their journey as well. With that being said, always a pleasure to be in your ear. Never, ever forget to take the time to power yourself.